Chapter Five, Part One of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Deerbrook by Harriet Mentinio. Chapter Five: The Meadows, Part One. The afternoon was the time when Miss Young's pupils practiced the mysteries of the needle. Little girls are not usually fond of sewing till they become clever enough to have devices of their own, to cut out a doll's petticoat, or contrive a pincushion to surprise Mama. Sewing is a mere gallying of the fingers and strain upon the patience. Every wry stitch shows and is pretty sure to be remarked upon. The seam or hem seems longer the oftener it is measured, till the little workwoman becomes capable of the enterprise of dispatching a whole one at a sitting after which the glory is found to ameliorate the toil, and there is a chance that the girl may become fond of sewing. Miss Young's pupils had not arrived at this stage. It was a mystery to them that Miss Young could sit sewing, as fast as her needle could fly for the whole afternoon, and during the intervals of their lessons in the morning it was in vain that told them that some of their pleasantest hours were those which she passed in this employment and that she thought they would perhaps grow as fond of work as their sister sophia before they were as old as she with languid steps did the twins return to the house this afternoon for another pair of shirt sleeves and show mamma the work they had finished hand in hand as usual and carrying up for judgment their last performance they entered the house in a very different mood did they return running skipping and jumping they burst again into the summer-house Miss Young, oh, Miss Young, we are to have a holiday. Mamma sends her complaints to you, Miss Young, and she hopes you will give us a holiday. It is a fine afternoon, she thinks, and my cousins have never gathered cowslips. We are all going into the meadow for a cowslip gathering, and Mr. Hope will come to us there. He has to go somewhere now, but he will come to us before we have half done. Matilda Rowland looked fall of dismay till she was told that Mrs. Gray hoped she would be of the party, and begged that she would go directly and ask her mamma's leave. What a quantity of cowslips we shall get, observed Mary, as she took down Fanny's basket from the nail on which it hung, and then her own. We are each to have a basket, mamma says, that we may not quarrel. What shall we do with such a quantity of cowslips? make tea of them to be sure replied fanny we may dry them in this window may not we miss young and we will give you some of our cowslip tea miss young smiled and thanked them she did not promise to drink of the promised tea she had a vivid remembrance of the cowslip drying of her young days when the picked flowers lay in a window till they were laced all over with cowwebs and when they were at length popped into the teapot with all speed to hide the fact that they were moldy she remembered the good-natured attempts of her father and mother to swallow a doll's cupful of her cowslip's tea rather than discourage the spirit of enterprise which now that she had lost those whom she loved was all that she had to trust to fanny said mary with eyes wide open cannot we have a feast here for my cousins when we make our cowslip tea a feast oh that would be grand replied fanny i have a shilling and so have you and we could buy a good many nice things for that and matilda rowland will lend us her doll's dishes and put with ours miss young will you let us have our feast here one afternoon 
we will ask my cousins without telling them anything, and they will be so surprised. Miss Young promised everything, engaged not to tell, soothed their hair, tied their bonnets, and send them away quite happy with their secret. Such a holiday as this was one of Miss Young's few pleasures. There were several occasions in the year when she could make sure beforehand of some hours to herself. Her Sundays were much occupied with the Sunday school, and with intercourse with poor neighbors whom she could not meet on any other day but Christmas Day, the day of the annual fair of Deerbrook, and two or three more were her own. Those were, however, so appropriated long before to some object that they lost much of their character of holidays. Their true holidays were such as the afternoon of this day, hours suddenly set free, little gifts of leisure to be spent according to the fancy of the moment. Let none pretend to understand the value of such whose lives are all leisure, who take up a book to pass the time, to saunter in gardens because there are no morning visits to make, who exaggerate the writing of a family letter into important business. Such have their own enjoyments, but they know nothing of the paroxysm of pleasure of a really hard-working person on hearing the door shut with excludes the business of life, and leaves the delight of free thoughts and hands. The worst part of it, is the having to decide how to make the most of liberty. Miss Young was not long in settling this point. She just glanced up at her shelf of books, and down upon her drawing-board, and abroad through the south window, and made up her mind. The acacia, with its fresh bunches of blossoms, was waving above the window, casting in flickering shadows upon the floor. The evergreens of the shrubbery twinkled in the sun, as the light breeze swept over them. The birds were chirruping all about, and a yellow butterfly alighted and trembled on the window-sill at the moment. It was one of the softest and gayest days of spring, and the best thing was to do nothing but enjoy it. She moved to the south window with her work and sewed or let the wind blow upon her face as she looked out. The landscape was a wide one, far beyond and somewhat below the garden, and shrubberies in which the summer-house stood flat meadows stretched to brink of the river, on the other side of which were the park woods. All was bathed in the afternoon sunshine, except where a tree here and there cast a flake of shadow upon the grass of the meadows. It is a luxury, thought the gazer, for one who cannot move about to sit here and look abroad. I wonder whether I should have been with the party if I had not been lame. I dare say something would have taken off from the pleasure if I had. But how well I can remember what the pleasure is, the jumping styles, the feel of the turf underfoot, the running after every flower, the going wherever one has a fancy to go. How well I remember it all, and yet it gives me a sort of surprise to see the activity of these children, and how little they are aware of what their privilege is. I fancy, however, the pleasure is more in the recollection of all such natural enjoyments than at the moment. It is so with me, and I believe with everybody. This very landscape is more beautiful to me in the dark night, when I cannot sleep, than at this very moment, when it looks its best and brightest. And surely this is the great difference between that sort of pleasures, and those which come altogether from within. The delight of a happy mood of mind is beyond everything at the time. It sets one above all that can happen. It steeps one in heaven itself. But one cannot recall it. One can only remember that it was so. The delight of being in such a place as those woods is generally more or less spoiled at the time by trifles which are forgotten afterwards. 
one is hungry or tired or a little vexed with somebody or doubtful whether somebody else is not vexed but then the remembrance is purely delicious brighter in sunshine softer in shade wholly tempered to what is genial the imagination is a better medium than the eye this is surely the reason why brian could not write poetry on lake leman but found he must wait till he got within four walls this is the reason why we are all more moved by the slightest glimpses of food descriptions in books than by the amplitude of the same objects before our eyes i used to wonder how that was when as a child i read the openings of scenes and books in paradise lost i saw plenty of summer sunrises but none of them gave me a feeling like the two lines now morn her rosy steps in the eastern clime advancing sowed the earth with orient pearl if all this be so our lot is more equalized than is commonly thought once having received pictures into our minds and possessing a clear eye in the mind to see them with the going about to obtain more is not of very great consequence this comforts one for prisoners suffering carcere duro and for townspeople who cannot often get out of the streets and for lame people like me who see others tripping over commons and through fields which we cannot go i wish there was as much comfort the other way about such as suffer from unhappy moods of mind and know little of the joy of the highest it would be a small gain to them to fly like birds to see like the eagle itself oh there are the children so that is their cowship meadow how like children they all look together down on the grass gathering cowslips i suppose the two in black are more eager about it than sophia she sits on the stile while they are busy the children are holding forth to their cousins teaching them something evidently how i love to overlook people to watch them acting unconsciously and speculate for them it is the most tempting thing in the world to contrast the little affairs one sees them to busy about with the very serious ones which await every one there are those two strangers busy gathering cowslips and perhaps thinking of nothing beyond the fresh pleasure of the air and the grass and the scent of their flowers their minds quite filled with the spirit of the spring when who knows what may be awaiting them love may be just at hand the tempest of passion may be brewing under this soft sunshine they think themselves now as full of happiness as possible and a little while hence upon a few words spoken a glance exchanged they may be in such heaven of bliss that they will smile at their own ignorance in being so well pleased to-day or but i pray they may escape the other change neither of them knows anything of that mystery yet i am confident they both look too young too open too free to have really suffered i wonder whether it is foolish to fancy already that one of them may be settled here it can hardly be foolish when the thought occurs so naturally and these great affairs of life lie distinctly under the eye of such as are themselves cut off from them i am out of the game and why should i not look upon its chances i am quite alone and why should i not watch for others every situation has its privileges and its obligations what is it to be alone and to be let alone as i am it is to be put into a post of observation on others but the knowledge so gained is anything but a good if it stops at mere knowledge if it does not make me feel and act women who have what i am not to have a home and intimate a perpetual call of themselves may go on more safely perhaps without any thought for themselves than i with all my best consideration 
but I with the blessing of a peremptory vocation, which is to stand me instead of sympathy, ties and spontaneous action. I may find out that it is my proper business to keep an intent eye upon the possible events of other people's lives, that I may use slight occasions of action which might otherwise pass me by. If one were thoroughly wise and good, this would be a sort of divine lot, without being at all wiser or better than others, being even as weak in judgment and in faith as I am. Something may be of it, without daring to meddle, one may stand clear-sighted, ready to help, how the children are flying over the meadow towards that gentleman who is fastening his horse to the gate. Mr. Hope, no doubt, he is the oldest cowslip gatherer of them all, I fancy. If one could overhear the talk in every house along the village, I dare say some of it is about Mr. Hope winning one of these young ladies. If so, it is only what I am thinking about myself. Everyone wishes to see Mr. Hope married, everyone, even to the servants here, who are always disputing whether he will not have Miss Sophia, or whether Miss Sophia will not do him. But it is very possible that one of these girls may, and the other, but I will not think about that today. How yellow the glow is upon these woods! What heavenly hues hang about the world we live in! But how strange is the lot of some in it! One would wonder why, when all are so plainly made to feel and act together, there should be any one completely solitary. There must be a reason. I would fain know it. But I can't wait till we may know all. Such were some of Maria's young, natural, and unchecked thoughts. There was not much of common holiday spirit in them. But to Maria, liberty and peace were holiday, and her mind was not otherwise than peaceful. She was serious, but not sad. Anyone who could not at the moment have seen her face would have pronounced her cheerful at heart. And so she was. She had been so long and so far banished from ordinary happiness that her own quiet speculations were material enough for cheerfulness. The subject on which she would not think today was the possibility of one of the sisters attaching Mr. Enderby. Maria Young had not always been solitary and lame and poor. Her father had not been very long dead, and while he lived, no one supposed that his only child would be poor. Her youth passed gaily, and her adversity came suddenly. Her father was wont to drive her out in his gig almost every summer day. One evening the horse took fright and upset the gig on a heap of stones by the roadside. Mr. Young was taken up dead, and Maria was lamed for life. She had always known the Enderbys very well, and there had been some gossip among their mutual acquaintance about the probability that Philip would grow to be Maria's lover when he should be old enough to think of marrying. It was never further than this except in Maria's own heart. She had, indeed, hoped even supposed that in Philip's mind the affair had at least been entertained thus far. She could never settle to her own satisfaction whether she had been weak and mistaken or whether she had really been in any degree wronged. There had been words, there had been looks, but words and looks are so easily misinterpreted. The probability was that she had no one to blame but herself. If fault there was, perhaps there was no fault anywhere, but there was misery, intense and long. During her illness no tidings came of Philip. He was in another part of the country when the accident happened. 
and it was not till long after it had been made known that Mr. Young had died insolvent, not till after Maria had recovered, as far as recovery was possible, not till she had fallen into the habit of earning her bread, and told her with how much concern he had heard of her sufferings. This interview gave her entire possession of herself, so she believed she got through it calmly, and it left her with one subject at least of intense thankfulness, that her mind was known only to herself. Whatever might be her solitary struggles, she might look without the same into the face of every human being. She could bear being pitied for her poverty, for her lameness, for her change of prospects. When the recollection of this came across any of her acquaintance, if it had been necessary, she could probably have borne to be pitied for having loved without return. But she could not be too thankful that it was not necessary. Maria was right in her supposition that the village was speculating upon the newly arrived young ladies. The parish clerk had for some years, indeed ever since the death of the late stationer, and dispenser of letters, carried on a flirtation with the widow, notwithstanding the rumors which were current. As to the cause to which her late husband owed his death, it was believed that poor Harry Plumstead died of exhaustion from his wife's voice, for she was no other than the village scold, of whose existence Margaret had been warned by Mr. Enderby. Some thought that Owen was acting a politic part in protracting this flirtation, keeping her temper in check by his hold upon her expectations, and such had little doubt that the affair would linger on to the end, without any other result than Owen's exemption, meanwhile from the inflictions of her tongue, to which, in the discharge of his office, he might otherwise become frequently liable. Others wished to see them married, believing that in Owen, a Welshman sufficiently irascible, Mrs. Plumstead would at last meet her match. This afternoon, an observer would have thought the affair was proceeding to this point. Mrs. Plumstead, looking particularly comely and gracious, was putting up an unclaimed letter at the window for a display, when Owen stopped to ask, if she had seen the pretty young ladies who had come to Deerbrook, she remarked that, to be sure, they might have gone to some place where they were wanted, for Deerbrook was not without pretty faces of its own before, and, as he said so, he smiled hard in the window's face. He should not wonder if some work for the rector should rise up before long, nor where there were pretty faces. Weddings might be looked for, he even asked Mrs. Plumstead, if she did not think so, and added something so ambiguous about his own share in the work for the rector, which was to arise, that the widow could not make out whether she spoke as her admirer or as parish clerk. In the milliner's workroom there, there was a spirited conversation between Miss Nares and her assistant, on the past wedding dresses of Deerbrook, arising out of the topic of the day, the Miss Ibbotsons, Mrs. Howell, who, with her shopwoman, Miss Miskin, dispensed the haberdashery of the place, smiled winningly at every customer who entered her shop, and talked of delightful accusations, and what must be felt about Mr. Hope in the midst of such charming society, and what it must be hoped would be felt, and how gay the place was likely to be with riding parties and boating parties and some said dances on the green at Mrs. Enderby's, and how partners in a dance have been known to become partners for life. 
jocosely told when her poor dear howell prevailed on her to stand up with him the first time for twenty years at his niece's wedding hester's beauty and what mrs gray had said about it to her mind were discussed just at the moment when hester passing the shop was entreated by sophia to look at a new pattern of embroidery which had lately arrived from london and was suspended at the window mrs howell and her gossips caught a glimpse of the face of the young lady through the drapery of prints and muslins and the festoons of ribbons and when the party proceeded down the street there was a rush to the door in order to obtain a view of her figure she was pronounced beautiful and it was hoped that some gentleman in the village would find her irresistible it was only rather strange that no gentleman was in attendance of on her now if the gossips could have followed the party with their eyes into the meadow they would soon have been satisfied for it was not long before mr hope joined them there on leaving mr gray's table he was as little disposed to go and visit the patient as medical men are when they are called away from the merriest company or at the most interesting moment of a conversation the liability to this kind of interruption is one of the great drawbacks of the profession to which mr hope belonged another is the impossibility of travelling the being fixed to one place for life without any but the shortest intervals of journeying mr hope had been settled for five years at deerbrook and during that time he had scarcely been out of sight of its people his own active and gladsome mind had kept him happy among his occupations there was no one in the place with whom he could hold equal converse but while he had it not he did not feel the pressing heart was ever full of interest he did not feel the pressing want of it he loved his profession and it kept him busy his kind heart was ever full of interest for his poorer patients seeing the best side of everybody he could be entertained though sometimes vexed by his intercourse with the greys and rawlands then there was the kindly-tempered and gentlemanly rector and philip enderby often came down for a few weeks and mr hope had the chief management of the book society and could thus see the best new books and his professional rides lay through a remarkably pretty country he kept up a punctual and copious correspondence with the members of his own family with his married sisters and with his only brother now with his regiment in india relating to them every important circumstance of his lot and almost every interesting feeling of his heart with this variety of resources life had passed away cheerily on the whole with mr hope for the five years of his residence at deerbrook though there were times when he wondered whether it was to be always thus whether he was to pass to his grave without any higher or deeper human intercourses than he had here if it had been possible he might like other men as wise as himself have invested one of the young ladies of deerbrook with imaginary attributes and have fallen in love with a creature of his own fancy but it really was not possible there was no one of the young ladies of deerbrook who was not so far inferior to the woman of hope's own family to the mother he had lost and the sisters who were settled far away as to render this commonest of all delusions impossible to him to such a man so circumcised it may be imagined how great an event was the meeting with hester and margaret he could not be in their presence ten minutes without becoming aware of their superiority to every woman he had seen for five years past 
the beauty of the one, the sincerity and unconsciousness of the other, and the general elevation of both struck him forcibly the first evening. His earliest thought the next morning was of some great event having taken place, and when he left Mr. Gray's door after dinner, it was with an unwillingness which made him spur himself and his horse on to their business, that he might the sooner return to his new-found pleasure. His thoughts already darted forward to the time when the Miss Ibbotsons would be leaving Deerbrook. It was already a heavy thought how dull Deerbrook would be without them. He was already unconsciously looking at every object and speculating, object in and around the familiar place with the eyes of the strangers, speculating on how the whole would appear to them. In short, his mind was full of them. There are perhaps none who do not know that this kind of impression is. All have felt it at some time or another many have felt it often about strangers whom they had been predisposed to like or with whom they had been struck at meeting nine times out of ten perhaps the impression of fleeting and when it is gone there is an unwillingness to return to it absurdity in having been so much interested without one who so soon became indifferent but the fact it is not the less real and general for this when it happens between two young people who are previously fancy-free, and circumstances favor the impression till it sinks deeper than the fancy, it takes the name of love at first sight. Otherwise it pauses away without a name, without a record. For an hour it is a secret, and in after-time it is forgotten. Possessed unconsciously with this street, Hope threw himself from his horse at the entrance of the meadow, where the cowslip-gatherers were busy fastened his steed to the gate, and joined the party. The children ran to him with the gleanings of intelligence, which they had acquired since he saw them last, half an hour before, that it was well they did not put off their gathering any longer, for some of the flowers were beginning to dry up already. That cousins had never tasted cowslip tea. Was not this very odd? That cousin Hester would not help to pick the flowers for drying. She thought it such a pity to pull the blossom out of the calyx that Sophia would not help either, because it was warm, that cousin Margaret had gathered a great many, but she had been ever so long washing a spider's nest, a nasty large spider's nest that Matilda was just going to break into, when cousin Margaret asked her not to spoil it. Margaret was indeed on her knees, prying into the spider's nest, when duly laughed at, she owned to having seen cobwebs before but maintained that cobwebs in a closet were a very different affair from a spider's nest in a field. "'I rather think, however,' said she, "'the word nest itself has something to do with my liking, for what I have been looking at. Some of your commonest country words have a charm to the ear and imagination of townspeople that you could not understand.' "'But,' said Mr. Hope, "'I thought nests were very common in Birmingham. Have you not nests of boxes and nests of work-tables?' Yes, and so we have stacks of chimneys, but yet we do not think of haymaking, when we see the smoke of the town. I rather think country words are only captivating, as relating to the country, but then you cannot think how bewitching they are to people who live in streets. The children might have found you a prettier sort of nest to indulge your fancy with. I should not think. There must be plenty of creatures besides spiders in this wide meadow." End of chapter 5, part 1